remember. My fear is that you'll remember the title, but forget everything else. The title is uh, One for the Money, Two for the Show, Three to Get Ready, Four to Go. That's the outline. That's going to be the outline that I hang my, my message on. And real simple, let me just put it out there for you. One for the money is the resources that we have. Two for the show is the influence that generosity creates. Three to get ready is readiness. Four to go is action. So I've got resources, influence, readiness, action. Real simple outline. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5, Paul is sent a letter on to Corinth before he gets there because he wants to prepare them for an offering. And when he gets there, he wants them to be ready. He wants them to be generous. He wants them to um, measure up to the boasting he's done about their generosity. So basically, he's already bragged on the Corinthian Christians, and now he's saying, don't embarrass me when I get there. So 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5. Now it is superfluous, that's an interesting word, for me to write to you about the offering for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brethren so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this case, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, what? We will be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go on to you before me and arrange in advance for this gift you have promised so that it may be ready not as an exaction but as a willing gift. Let's bow together. Father, as we come this morning to consider stewardship, your ownership over everything. And God, you've just placed us here to be your managers, your stewards. We don't really own anything. But you are testing us to see if we're willing to place our faith in you and just trust you with what you've entrusted to us. When the master comes, let us be found faithful stewards. In Jesus' name. Amen. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Do you know what that little nursery rhyme comes from? It comes from, huh? It comes from horse racing. One for the money, I guess, is first place. Uh, two for the show, you know, there's win, place, and show. And horse, I was in Louisville for eight years in seminary, and um, I learned a little bit about horse racing, not a lot. But I know what win, place, and show are. It's first, second, and third place. So uh, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go when the horses take off. And it became a little nursery rhyme of, of uh, children, you know, starting races and, and beginning events and uh, taking off in activities. So as I said, I want this to be the outline for what I have to say today, but I hope you remember more than just the outline. I hope you remember what I have to say, what God wants to say through me in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul, let me give you some background. I, I never really understood how important this offering that Paul is collecting was to him. He goes around on his first missionary journey establishing churches. And then he goes around on his second missionary journey 
revisiting the churches that he helped establish to encourage them, to, uh, to see how they're doing, to help them with problems, to take care of problems. But underwriting all those purposes was a collection that Paul was taking. Paul is taking up a collection in the Roman Empire to carry back to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, remember, is Jewish Christians. And when they become Christians, the Jews kind of kick them out from underneath their protection in Rome, and they begin to be persecuted. They will not say, Caesar is Lord. They lose their jobs. It is a struggling church financially. And so Paul takes this opportunity to go out throughout the Roman Empire, these churches that he established on his first journey, and he's taking up a collection with the intent of taking this offering back to the Jews, the Jewish Christians, in Jerusalem to show them how much the Gentile Christians out in the Roman world love them and support them. There's a lot going on here, and I, I never really understood all, all the issues that were undercurrent, but I'm, I'm thinking the Jewish Christians back here in Jerusalem are suspicious of the Gentile Christians. Because remember, Paul was the one responsible for saying that Gentiles did not have to become Jews in order to be saved. He said you could come to Christ directly, whatever race you are. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to go through all the Jewish rituals in order to, to have a relationship with God. And these Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem accepted it at first, but I think they probably also had some reservations. And so Paul is out there in the empire raising this offering to take back to the poor Christians in Jerusalem to say, look, these guys love you. They're supporting you financially. Accept this offering and accepting this offering, accept the Gentile Christians who are out there supporting you in this manner. So he's trying to convince the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem to accept and love the Gentile Christians out in the Roman Empire. Do you see the dynamics that are going on here? And you begin to understand the passion for this offering that Paul is taking. It's not just, you know, an offering to keep the lights on or, or to keep the candles burning or whatever it was in the church in Jerusalem. It was symbolic. It represented the Gentile Christians out in the Roman Empire supporting the Jewish Christians. And hopefully in return, the Jewish Christians would love and accept the Gentile Christians. So it was crossing races. It was crossing barriers. It was going from Gentiles to Jews, from out in the Roman Empire to Jerusalem. And Paul was using this offering to build a bridge between the two. It was essential. So the Corinthian church is the flagship of the churches in Achaia. I had to get a map out. Achaia and Macedonia are mentioned pretty often here. If you know the Greek peninsula, Macedonia is kind of the northern part that includes Philippi and Thessalonica and some of those other cities up north. Corinth is kind of down in the southern end of this Greek peninsula, and that area is called Achaia. So he's talking about Macedonia up north and Achaia down south where Corinth is, and he's kind of playing the two off against the other. This is what Paul has done. Paul has bragged to the Macedonians up north how generous the Corinthian churches were. And in so doing, it has boosted the offering up in Macedonia. And now he's telling the Corinthians that Macedonia has been generous. And so that's hopefully increasing the offering in Corinth. You see what he's doing? 
is, is kind of like a, an old fundraising ploy. You tell one person what another person has done, and then you tell that person what the first person has done, and you kind of urge competition between the two. So, Paul, out of a desire not to be embarrassed by the offering that is being collected in Corinth, sends some messengers on ahead. And some people think Titus might have been one of the messengers that he sends on ahead to Corinth. And he, wanted, he wants these messengers going ahead of him to kind of prime the pump, to try to get things going, to get the offering started, so when he shows up to collect the offering, he won't have to start from scratch. It will have already begun, maybe the snowball will be rolling, and, and he may even have some uh, Macedonians with him. Um, and, and he doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of the Macedonians by a, a paltry offering that the Corinthians have raised because he's already bragged to the Macedonians how generous the Corinthians are. So when he arrives with his entourage of Macedonians to, to collect the offering, he wants it already underway and a good showing. So he won't be shamed, so the Corinthians won't be shamed, so the Macedonians will be encouraged, and so the offering for the saints in Jerusalem will go well. Do you see all the things that are going on? Paul's writing this letter. So I want to talk a little bit about resources. One for the money. Is there any doubt that we are the wealthiest people on the face of the earth in the history of the world? We are. When you look at history, you see how those people suffered. When you look at other people on the face of the earth today and how blessed we are. I, I look this up. If you, are, if you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the people on the face of the earth. If you have a little money in the bank, in your wallet, if you have some spare change, you are among the 8% wealthiest people on the face of the earth. If you woke up this morning and you have more health than illness, if you're, you're or more blessed than the million people in this world who were not survived this week, if you've never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment, the torture, or pangs of starvation, you're, you're more fortunate than 500 million people who are starving to death right now. If you can read, you're more fortunate than 3 billion people on the face of the earth who cannot read at all. So I would have to say that just the fact that we have a little money in the bank, um, food in the refrigerator, clothes on our back, a roof over our head, a bed to sleep in, we're probably among the top 5% wealthiest people in the world today. And the world today is wealthier than it ever has been. So we are, we have the resources. We have the resources. There's no doubt about that. One for the money. Um, I, you know, I look back in our records. Do you realize we paid off a six and a half million dollar building program in five years? Five years. That was amazing. We have the resources to do whatever we want to do, whatever we feel like God is calling us to do. And I, I asked uh, our secretary this week, how many church families do we have? And we had about 466 families that registered for the pictorial directory that, that Daniel's working on now and trying to get published. 
466. I dare say if, if all 466 families tithed their income, our budget would be around $10 million easily. And we could do anything God called us to do, primarily missions. Incidentally, um, this, this past year in the summer, I think our staff took a couple hours and prioritized what we wanted to do with the budget this next year. You know what the top was? It was missions. That's the most important thing for your ministry team. And probably the great, one of the greatest increases in percentage in the church budget this coming year. Because we see that as a priority and anything extra that we get, that we receive, we want to be good stewards of. Because we realize God is entrusting us, like Ted was talking about, to be stewards and uh, use those resources for missions. One for the money, two for the show. Influence. Influence. Paul is appealing to the Corinthians to make a good show for the offering that they are collecting. He says, you don't have this, but back in, unless you have your Bibles open, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Macedonians have already done well. We want you to know, brethren, about the grace of God which has been shown in the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part. So Paul is saying that the Macedonians, where he's coming from, have already collected their offering and they have been generous in spite of their suffering, their poverty, severe test of affliction, the wealth of liberality has overflowed on their part. So they've already done well. And then he says in chapter 9, verse 2, For I know your readiness, of which I boast about to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. The word for zeal there is zealos. And we just actually transliterate that into English. That's where the, the word zeal comes from. It means encouragement, enthusiasm. I, I know your, your zealos has been stirred up among them. Achaia, you're ready. Your zeal, your zealos has stirred, has stirred up Macedonia. It has influenced them. And now I want their liberal offering to influence you. It's the old idea that generosity inspires generosity. Generosity begets generosity, doesn't it? I think stinginess begets stinginess too. But generosity influences generosity. Do you remember, I know you do, the ice bucket challenge? I, I looked up some uh, statistics on that between July 29th and August 29th. Do you remember when it was in full bloom? The ALS, um, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS Society received $41.8 million in less than one month. Uh, in in uh, between the end of July and, and the end of September, in two months, it received $100 million, which was like in one month, it received more than it had all the previous year. In one month, they received more than they had all the previous year. Generosity begets generosity, and it was exciting, and <clears throat> people did that ice bucket thing, and, and, uh, and then they pledged to ALS, and, and they encouraged others to do it, and it just spread like wildfire because generosity begets generosity, and, and it spread, and, 
and one person challenged another and they found out how fun it was to be generous and they challenged somebody else or two or three people and, and like a pyramid, it just expanded exponentially. And more and more people accepted the challenge and became, and not just because of the ice bucket deal, but because of what it, what it meant and what it represented and the need that it was going to help. I think generosity, and incidentally, that's why we do stewardship testimonies. We hope that when you hear how blessed someone is by being a faithful steward, that it will inspire and encourage you by the influence of generosity. Generosity begets generosity. It influences more people, and it can become contagious and spread throughout a congregation, and people find out how fun it is to trust God and see what he's going to do with the, with the 90%. I heard, I heard Adrian Rogers say years ago, and I love this saying, God can do more with your 90% than you can do with 100%. Can't he? God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. And all you have to do is just try him in that. I challenge you. The ice, not the ice bucket challenge. This is something even more basic. I challenge you to try this for one month. Try tithing. And if you miss that money at the end of the month, let me know, and I'll help you out. I promise. Because I have found God faithful. And when my family tithes, we never miss it. We really don't. And it seems like everything else that we have is multiplied. And um, I just believe God in this. And so even more important than the ice bucket challenge, I challenge you to take a tithing challenge and try at the first of the month tithing and then see how your finances go the remainder of the month and if you're in trouble call me and we'll work something out because I just believe I believe when God becomes the manager of your finances you'll find out how much further 90% can go with him than 100% can go without him that's the influence two for the show three to get ready Readiness. This is kind of interesting. We know Paul's talking about an offering. But the words he uses aren't the Greek words for offering. In verse 1 of chapter 9, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the offering for the saints. The word for offering here is not offering. The word for offering in the Greek is diokoneus. Diokoneus. You know what word we get from that? Deacon. We get the word deacon from this word. And the word literally means servant. Dia is a preposition that means through. Konos means dust. And so the word literally means through the dust. Through the dust. And it's the image of a servant who waits on his master and scurries through the dust to get what he needs, to help him, to minister to him, to take care of him. That's where the word diakonias comes from, and that's where we get the word deacon, and that's why the word deacon means servant, and that's why Paul is using the word diakonias here for offering. It's kind of strange, but Paul sees the offering that they're collecting in the Roman Empire for the Jerusalem church as a service, as a diakonias. Paul sees everything the church does 
as a diakonias. As a matter of fact, everything, if, if ministering to the needy, comforting the hurting, preaching and teaching the gospel, it's all diakonias. It's all deacon. It's all service for the world, for the sake of the gospel. And Paul uses that word diakonias here, and for some reason it's translated offering because we know what he's talking about. But he uses the word service. That's why our deacons lead the way when it comes to servanthood. Because service and generosity are what the deacons are all about, and that's how they got their name. Through the dust, scurrying through the dust stirring the dust up to wait on their master. For the deacons, it's the church. For the church, the master is Jesus. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Be ready to offer a service for the saints. That's why it's got translated offering in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 9. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready. Be ready to render service Fourth and finally, four to go. <coughs> Be ready to go. Be ready to take action. Because this sermon is not just about finances, it's about service. <coughs> Paul is returning to the Corinthian church. Probably some Macedonians are accompanying him. He has already bragged to the Macedonians about how generous the Corinthians are. It has influenced the Macedonians and stirred them up in the severe test of affliction and has overflowed in a wealth of liberality in their offering. <coughs> Excuse me. So now, here comes Paul with his entourage of uh, his traveling companions and some Macedonians from the north, and they're coming to the Corinthian church, and he's, he's basically writing the Corinthians a letter and says, don't embarrass me. Don't shame me. Don't shame yourselves. I've sent some folks, maybe even Titus, on ahead to get the offering started, to get it underway. And if you aren't generous, as I've told everybody you were, it'll be humiliating for you and for me. The Corinthians have made a pledge, as a matter of fact. Verse 5, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go on to you before me and arrange in advance this gift you have promised. So it may be ready, not as an exaction, not as a debt, not as a something you owe, but as a willing gift. Not a debt, but as a gift. Paul knows that if you give out of guilt, it's not near as important as giving out of overflow, out of blessing. <clears throat> but it's an uphill battle. Paul is, is telling them, you have pledged this, you have promised this. And actually, in Paul's day, there was a term for pledge dodgers. People who pledged something and then didn't do it. And they actually took pledge dodgers, and they took their names and posted them in the marketplace in ancient Greek. Because saying that you'll do something for somebody and then not doing it was a real act of humiliation. And they'd, they'd do it to avoid shame. And Paul doesn't want people to contribute just to avoid shame. He wants them to do it because of the joy, the blessing that will come from God. It's an uphill battle. The concept of charity was foreign in Paul's day. When you worked, you worked basically for yourself 
and for your family. The idea of doing something for someone else was new in Paul's day, particularly somebody of a different race. Because remember, the people in Jerusalem were Jews, and the people to whom he's speaking are Greeks. So he's raising money, a benevolence offering for a different race. And that was something totally unheard of in Paul's day, but it was worth it because you begin to see how passionate Paul is about this offering and what he hopes it will accomplish, not just ministering to the need of the Jerusalem saints, but seeing how much they are loved by the, the, Jew, the Gentile Christians out in the empire and will help them open their arms and welcome them into the Christian church. It was that important. There's one final word that's unusual here in the last verse of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go on to you before me and arrange in advance for this gift you have promised so that it may be ready not as an exaction but as a willing gift. The word gift there, once again in the Greek, is not the word for gift. The word is eulogia. We get the word eulogy today. You know what a eulogy is? That's what, you know, people say something nice about somebody at a funeral or something like that. Uh, the Greek word, you, is a prefix meaning good. Logos is word. So eulogy is good word. And uh, that's the word Paul uses here for gift. Eulogia. So if I were to translate this from the Greek, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go unto you before me and arrange in advance for this blessing you have promised, so that it may be ready not as an exaction but as a willing blessing. He uses eulogia twice there, and it gets translated gift. It really means good word. It means blessing. But here, you know, usually we think of blessing as a eulogy or as something you say before you eat or you pronounce on someone when they're headed out to do something. Here it's not just verbal. This blessing is action. It's going to do something. God has gifted us. He has blessed us in order to be a blessing to others. He has given us resources and he has given us influence and he has given us readiness to go out in action and do something and make a difference. And, and incidentally, we've got missionaries out right now. We've got Leah Richardson in China, and we've got um, Craig and Joy Matthews and Margaret Treadway heading this coming week into Peru again. And we help support those mission trips and, and uh, missionaries around the world. You know, we support that through our cooperative program. And so all these things are made possible. We're doing action. We're doing something. We're sending out for the gospel. It's interesting to me that there are two words that Paul uses as synonyms for offering. The first one is in the first verse where he talks about offering, and the word is diokoneus. It means service. And here in the last verse, he uses eulogia. It means blessing. Service, blessing, offering. All mean the same thing. It's interesting what Paul has done. He has created a spirit of competition between the Macedonians and the Corinthians and, and kind of created a rivalry between the two areas of the church. And it's not just a clever fundraising ploy. I think Paul sees this as essential 
It's a collection that will alleviate the poverty of the Jerusalem church. But more than that, it may even preserve the unity of the church. Because if the Jerusalem Christians never accept the Gentile Christians, then who knows, but maybe in that first century, the church might have separated and gone in different directions. Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, but because of this offering that Paul is collecting, it preserved the unity and showed the Jerusalem Christians, hey, these Gentile Christians really care about us, really love us. Let's open up our arms and embrace them. And so that offering that Paul collected on his second missionary journey, and I think was the underwriting purpose for that second journey, along with encouraging the churches, was crucial. And that's why he was so passionate about it. When you give, you not only become a blessing, you not only become a servant, you experience one. You experience a blessing because you're showing God that you trust him to do what he says he'll do and see what he can accomplish with your 90%. One for the money, resources. Two for the show, influence. Three to make ready, readiness. Four to go, action. Real simple outline. Let me challenge you. For one month, try the tithe and see what God can do. Let's bow together. Father, you have placed us in this good world and you have, we're like the, the servant that you gave five talents to because we are wealthy. And you want to see if we bury those talents, if we trust you with them and invest them, if we return 10% to you or just exactly what we're going to do with it. And then when you come as the master and investigate, are you going to say, you didn't trust me in this? Why not? Are you going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. When we think about all that we have, Help us to see those as gifts, as blessings, and be good servants, serving you, not just with our finances, with our energy, with our time, with our talents, serving this church, serving your kingdom, serving our world. 10% is just the starting point. You deserve it all. So help us see our resources and that light and give you everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard someone say one time, 